We've been uh, looking at a series of messages over this year on the subject of the Holy Spirit. And, and if I can get my slides up there, the, um, the theme we're looking at today is the word witness. But really our title, I've put this, it's coming up on the screen now. Why can't Christians keep quiet? Now there's a lot of people would like to ask that question from the Prime Minister downwards. That is if we're down from the Prime Minister, right? suppose we are in some sense of the word. Why can't Christians keep quiet? We'll try and answer that question today. So let's have a look at a a passage from the Bible first of all. Coming up on the screens here. God raised Jesus from the dead and we're all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. For David himself never ascended into heaven, yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Each one of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, the Bible. Father, would you speak now to our hearts through the Holy Spirit, through your word. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to come amongst us, be present with us, and speak to our hearts, even as we hear from your word. Amen. Well, the verse I want to focus on for today is verse 32 there, and it's this. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Now, I don't know if you've been reading the news this week, but this fascinating story took place in the news. And it concerns uh, a young girl who grew up in Hungary many years ago. Her name is Maddie Gerard. And here's a picture of her. And as she grew up in Hungary, she was taken away during the Second World War. And at the end of 1945, just as the war was ending, she was in a prison camp and very seriously malnourished and perhaps one or two days from finally passing away. And she was desperate, as were many others in the same situation. Well, on that day that she was probably waiting to die as a 15-year-old girl, a young British officer was driving around and he got lost on the roads. And as he was lost, he saw a pair of iron gates. And he went up to the gates trying to find out where he was, and he pushed open the gates and he drove through. Here's a picture of him coming up now. And as he pushed through these gates, there's his picture. His name is Lieutenant John Randall. And he pushed through these gates and he drove down a long driveway... And as he got to the bottom of the drive, he saw all these 
huts. And he quickly realized he'd found something, and he came upon this prison camp. And he went to the first hut, and he opened the door, and there, lying on the floor, was this young girl, Maddie Gerard, just 15 years old, clutching a blanket that she'd taken from a friend who died a couple of days earlier. And the conditions were terrible. And she saw this dashing young officer come in in his smart uniform, and she struggled to her feet, and she tried to get across him and fell onto him. And from that situation, he then went away, got help, brought all the British soldiers back, and they rescued the whole camp from death at that time. And this is what she says. She's now 85 years old. Maddie said this, this year. She said, I never knew this officer's name. We only met for a few minutes, but he saved my life. I thanked him for liberating me, but at that stage we were so far gone, I'm not sure we understood that we were free, that we were not going to die. So over the next 60 years, this is what happened to Maddie. She left uh, Europe and came to England. She actually came to Wales. She went to Cardiff and settled there. After She went back to her native Hungary first, but various things happened there. So she left Hungary and came and settled in Cardiff. And she still owns a property there now. But after she went to Cardiff, she was good in fashion and knitwear and other kinds of clothing. So she set up her own business. And it did so well, she actually moved to Toronto in Canada and then to New York. And the business did so well, she has photographs all over her wall of a little cottage in Wales signed by her clients. They include the wives of presidents, uh, pop stars or singers that you would know, Dionne Warwick, she's part of this, uh, uh, her clientele and other well-known uh, stars of that era are all on the wall there with photographs saying, thank you for the dress or thank you for the outfit, I look great in it sort of thing. And then 10 years ago, the strangest thing happened to Maddie Gerard. She was opening the newspaper, and there, inside the newspaper, was the story of her prison camp being found. And there was a picture, this picture, of this young officer. And next to it was the name, Lieutenant John Randall. She didn't know who this guy was for 60-odd years. She'd never, or 60 years, she, she'd had no way of finding out. And there suddenly... And she, in fact, she was so shocked, she screamed, and the rest of her household didn't know why she was screaming. And she immediately made moves. She got in touch with the newspaper, and she said, how do I contact this guy? Well, within three days, he phoned her back, and they agreed to meet up. And ever since then, I think this is them now, this is when they first met up. They don't look too happy there, but I'm sure they really are. <laughs> And ever since then, they've met up every year. She's actually coming to London this year to meet him for his birthday. And she always sends him a bottle of champagne on his birthday. And she said this. She said, this, there was this face I'd carried in my heart for 60 years. I always said I'd recognize him if I ever saw him again. He looked very handsome in his uniform. I screamed with joy to know he was still alive. Uh, and she said, I wrote to him asking if we could meet, and he called me within days. He had this beautiful, deep English baritone voice. Three weeks later, they met up at the Special Forces Club in London. They talked for three hours and parted as friends, promising to keep in touch. She said he was an elegant English gentleman. There are some of those still around, ladies. 
and was dressed to kill with a red handkerchief. Oh, come on, that's so irresistible. <laughs> Mums, this is the sort of guy you want your daughter to bring home. And bright red socks. I'm trying my best today. <laughs> I knew we would be good friends for the rest of our lives, she said. Well, what a remarkable story. I mean, what do you think of a story like that? Now, imagine for one moment you were on an airplane flying back from New York this year and Maddie Gerard was sitting next to you. Do you think she might possibly tell you her story? I mean, you'd, you'd expect her to, wouldn't you, really? Or if you're in the queue at a shop or at the bus stop and you're standing next to her, you say, oh, it's a long time waiting here. Maybe you're at the doctor's or the dentist. You know, don't like these places, do you? Anything interesting happened to you? Does it keep me interested while I'm bored because the magazines are so old? You say, well, I could tell you a little bit about my life. I mean, if you were standing next to her, you'd be pretty disappointed if you didn't hear her story, wouldn't you? It's a remarkable story, and I've only just skimmed the surface. I'm sure there is far, far more. Do you know, back home in her cottage in Wales, which she still keeps, she's got a Lieutenant Randall's picture. It's right in the centre of the wall, and he's got all these stars and president's wives around him, but he is the central picture in that house because of what he did for her. How can you not tell someone a story like that? Well, those kind of stories demand to be told, and not just once, but over and over again. So what about our Bible passage today that we had? Well, last week we celebrated Easter Sunday. And the, the part I read to you is seven weeks after Easter Sunday. So it's, it's very close on the heels of Easter. And the people that were there, the disciples and Jesus' followers, they also have an incredible, remarkable story to tell. They saw things most people will never, ever see in their lifetimes. They saw Jesus heal the sick and raise the dead. They saw him walk on water. They saw him feed 5,000. They heard his sermons and his messages. What we have as history in the Bible, they actually lived and experienced and took part in and saw, and some of their names are in the book. And then on top of all of that, they watched him die on that first Easter weekend. And they knew he was dead. They knew he was sealed in a tomb. And they also knew that when they went back there, the tomb was empty. And within a short space of time, they saw him alive. Now, it says some of them doubted. I mean, they weren't sure what they were seeing. Do you know what Jesus did to prove he was alive? Well, two things. He says, well, come on, guys, have a feel. I mean, there still are the imprints of nails here. God has let me keep them just to show you. And then they, he said, some of you still don't look too sure. Why don't we eat something? Now, I'm sure some of them thought if he ate something, the food would fall out the side again but he ate in front of them just like a solid flesh and blood kind of person. This is a remarkable story as well. And they were so impacted by the life they'd lived with him and the change that uh, they'd already seen in their lives. And then to witness this and take part in this, it was just awesome for them. And that's a story worth telling too. And so they started to tell it. They started to tell people that Jesus 
was real and alive. Now, seven weeks earlier, Jesus had already told them they would have a story to tell and that he wanted them to tell their story. And here's what he says. Here's another part of the Bible here. Then he said to them, when I was with you before, I told you everything written about me in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the, uh, and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. You notice that, by the way, that in order to understand the Bible, God's got to help us. We don't just get it by our own thinking or reasoning. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things, and now I will send the Holy Spirit, just as my Father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Jesus said to them, You are going to be witnesses. You're going to have such a story to tell, and I want you to tell it. And don't be afraid, embarrassed, ashamed about telling it. Tell the story. Let people know. And this is the kind of story they told. They told of a story of a God who is real. They told about the Bible that you can trust it to be God's word into our lives today. They told that Jesus really did come to the earth and he really did die, and he really did rise again. They told people that, do you know what? You can be forgiven. All that bad stuff in your life that's happened to you and that you've also done in life, you can have all of that sorted out, dealt with, forgiven, washed away. They said that God can come into your life in a whole new way, a bit like we've been singing about already today in in the time of worship, and you can have a new life and a new start and a new beginning, not just your old life patched up, but a brand new life and a brand new start to go with that. And here they are, seven weeks later, doing just that. They're out telling that story to just about anyone they can meet, whether they want to listen or not. It's such a good story. It's such a life-changing, life-impacting story. They can't keep quiet about it. Now, I'd like to tell you another story now. And this story is something you'll all know a little bit about because you've probably read about it in the news or seen one of the films that's been made about it. This is the story of the Titanic. Does anyone know the day the Titanic sank? Anyone know the date? It's not. It's April the 15th. It set sail on April the 12th, which is actually 103 years ago today. How about that? 103 years ago in 1912, the Titanic set sail on April the 12th. And three days later, it sank just off the coast of uh, Newfoundland, America there. And I want to tell you a true story from that tragic but incredible tale. And it's about somebody you've probably never heard of before. It's a guy called John Harper. Here's a picture of him. John Harper was a canny Scotsman. Let's hear it for all the Scots here, even if they do want to be independent, some of them. Yes, there's a group of them over there. I thought I'd get that in. 
John Harper had one daughter called Nana. His wife died a few years earlier, and so he was bringing up this young child. And he'd been offered the job as a pastor in a church in Chicago. So he took his young daughter with him and set sail to go to this new life and this new job in Chicago. And they sailed on the Titanic on the 12th of April, exactly 103 years ago to the day. And then the most tragic thing happened, as you know, the iceberg uh, was in uh, collision with the ship and the ship started to sink. And when that happened, he, John Harper, quickly realized that everybody was in trouble. And the first thing he did was grab his daughter Nana and run with her till he could find a lifeboat. And he put her in that lifeboat and he said, stay there, you'll be safe. And the lifeboat was lowered over the side, and she was safe. And then he was running around the deck, and this is what he was shouting, women and children and people who don't know Jesus, get to the lifeboats quick. You see, he was so concerned that if you don't know Jesus, your eternity will be the kind of eternity that you don't want. He was so sure because of his own story of how God had stepped into his life and forgiven and rescued and saved him that every man and woman needed the same. And he found one guy and the lifeboats had all gone by then and he was wearing a life jacket and he took it off and said, here, take this, put this on. Let's hope that you can get saved through this. Well, the ship was going down. And as the ship was going low in the water, he ended up in the water clinging on to one of the the supports on the ship. And right next to him was another guy. And he said to this guy, he said, do you believe in Jesus? You're kidding me. They're freezing cold in the water. You're kidding me, aren't you? He said, listen, you need to give your life to God now while you still can. You need to believe now because God is so good and his forgiveness is so real. And without him, you'll be lost for eternity. Well, the waves came against John and they pulled him away from that spar. And he's floating around in the water and then a little bit later the waves pushed him back and he catches hold of where he was before and the guy is still there and he says to that guy, he says, listen, he said, have you given your life to Jesus? He says, no, I haven't yet. He said, well, there's still time. And within a few minutes of that, cold overcame him and he slipped into the water and was lost in this life. Only six people were rescued from the water. And the man that he had spoken to was one of those six people. And four years later, that man was in a public meeting. And he was telling the story of what it was like to go down with the Titanic and be rescued from that freezing, awful water. And he said, I was alone on my own with two miles of water underneath me. And in that moment, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I put my trust in him. And shortly after that, he was rescued. He said, I was John Harper's last convert before he left this life. Now, that's a story worth telling, isn't it? What a remarkable story. Let me read you one more passage of the Bible. 
about these first Christians because nobody could stop them talking. Nobody could shut them up. I mean, it was embarrassing sometimes, but they couldn't stop speaking this story. Here's what it says about them. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see they were ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures. They also recognized them as men who'd been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who'd been healed standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred among themselves. What shall we do with these men, they asked each other. We can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign, and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from speaking their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. But one more story for you before we draw to a conclusion. Some years back, before aeroplane travel was really popular and and so on, uh, a guy was taking the ship also over to America across the Atlantic because that was the, 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 the most common way you traveled in those days. And his problem was this. He got seasick. Any of you get seasick? I mean, I, we were on a channel ferry a couple of years ago and I could feel the deck moving underneath me and Sally had to lie down. It's, it's not a pleasant experience. So they're about a day into this journey, I guess, and the first evening comes and the guy is feeling so seasick, he goes to his bed and he just crashes out in his room. And he's been there for a while and he hears all this kind of noise outside and this kerfuffle, if if that word can translate into Spanish, Roxana, this commotion in the corridor. And he he staggers to the door and he says, what's going on? He says, somebody's just fallen overboard and they've stopped the ship and they're turning it round. Fortunately, somebody's seen this man fall from the deck so they could immediately respond. But he was in the cold waters of the Atlantic. And this guy was thinking, well, you know, I'm a Christian, I've got to help this guy, you know, I I should do my part. He said, everybody's getting on deck, they're all lining the edges of the deck, trying to spot him in the water, because there's there's no searchlights or anything like that. It's like looking for a needle in a haystack, but maybe they can find him if he can stay afloat long enough. So he was, this guy's so ill with his seasickness, he can't get out on the deck. So he staggers back into bed, and he lies there for a few moments, and then he thinks, I've got to do something. It's my Christian duty to try and help. So he goes over to the porthole in his cabin and opens it up, and he gets a light from inside, and he shines it out onto the sea to see if he can see anything. But it was a kind of a hopeless task, really. And after a few minutes of that, he felt so ill, he just crashed back out on the bed and closed the porthole. Well, later on, there's this thundering of noise on the, on the stairways and all that, and he guessed something good must have happened because it sounded kind of hopeful. But it was two more days before he was able to get out of his cabin and the seasickness subside. By that time, they're nearly on the other side. So he's there on the deck and he says to somebody, what happened the other night with that guy? And said, oh, they found him. In fact, he's he's standing over there by the rail now waiting to get off because we're coming into port soon. And he went over to talk to him. 
And he said, are you the guy that fell in? He said, that's right. It was terrible. And he started to tell him his story. And he said, how did they find you? He said, well, the water was so cold. He said, I knew I didn't have long. I kept afloat for a bit. He said, but you know they say you go under three times, don't you? I don't know whether that's actually true or not. But he said, I'd actually gone under the water twice. And the, the ship had put down a rowing boat, and the, 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 the crew were out from the ship looking for me. He said, and at that moment, the weirdest thing happened. He said, somebody opened a porthole in the side of the ship, and they shone a light out. And as I was going down, my hand was in the water, and the light shone on my hand. And I was right near this boat, and one of the guys reached out and grabbed my hand and dragged me out of the water. Would you believe it? That little effort that he made, even though he was feeling seasick, just to shine a light out of the window, caught the man's hand and led to him being rescued. Wow. There's another story worth telling. Do you know, every time somebody who's been rescued by Jesus tells their story, that's what we're doing. We're shining a light out of the porthole. And we're giving God a chance to move into somebody else's life. And if you don't, if you don't know Jesus Christ, every time you listen to someone's story, every time you get in conversation with them and they tell you their story of what God's done in their life, it's like a light shining on you where God can step in and reach out and get a hold of your life and rescue you too. That's why Christians can't keep quiet. We have a story to tell no matter what our life is. And it's an even better story than the one I started with, remarkable as Maddie Gerard's story is. I want to ask two questions to finish. The first question is this. Have you been rescued? Have you been rescued? Do you know you need rescuing? Do you know that in life we need rescuing? That the things we do wrong in life and the life we live away from God we need rescuing from. And if we don't get that rescue, that forgiveness, and that change of life, that new life that we were talking about earlier in the meeting, we've not been rescued. Let me just show you for a moment how you can be rescued. It's ever so simple. You just have to ask. If you wanted to be rescued today, you'd dial 999 and ask for the Coast Guard. Well, this is how you do that spiritually. Two things, trust and turn. And all you have to do is call God's number like this. It's a simple prayer. You pray, Jesus, I trust in you now. Please forgive all my wrongs and all my sins. That's the trusting. And then the turning, Jesus, I turn my life over to you now, and I turn away from my past life without you. That's the turning. Have you been rescued? Do you know you need to be rescued? 
many of us here today can say that God has stepped in when our hand was just on the surface of the water and he's grabbed a hold of us when we were at our lowest point and rescued us. I know he's done that for me and I know he's done it for many here. But God can do that for you today. So what we're going to do, the moment we're going to pray, I'm going to ask us all to pray that prayer out together. If you've never prayed a prayer like that, I'm going to invite you to join in. And if you mean that with all your heart, and you're sincere about it, the Bible says you'll be rescued. It uses another old-fashioned word, saved, but rescued is what it means. You will be saved. You will be rescued. By praying a simple prayer like that, that's all I did. And God stepped in and rescued my life too. There's quite a story behind that if you want to hear it. Feel free to ask during the lunch. I wonder if I could just ask us to bow our heads now and close our eyes. Thank you. Lord Jesus, I pray now that as we come to pray this prayer, you will be moving in our hearts to rescue us. Lord, you see every person and every person's heart that says, Lord, please rescue me today. And you do step in and rescue us. Thank you, Lord. I wonder if we can pray this prayer together. You'll have to open your eyes and look up. I wonder if we can do this in an attitude of prayer and just pray this out together with me. Jesus, I trust, let's say this together, I trust in you now. Please forgive all my wrongs and all my sins. Jesus, I turn my life over to you now and I turn away from my past life without you. Amen. Let's just close our eyes again. Now, if you prayed that prayer and that was the first time you've prayed a prayer like that or if you've been away from God for a long time and you've prayed that prayer and you really meant it you will be rescued right now and we want to encourage you in that process while people's eyes are closed I want to ask you if you've prayed that prayer for the first time and meant it would you be willing to put your hand up now so I can just see who you are and I can talk to you afterwards? Anybody brave enough to do that? Just put their hand up while our eyes are closed. Is there anybody willing to say, yeah, I prayed that prayer. There's one person over here. Thank you. Anybody else? One person here, another person here. Anyone else? Thank you. Lord, thank you. You step in and you rescue us. You rescue us and you give us a brand new life. Thank you, Lord, today for your amazing rescue. Amen. And finally, I have one more slide to show you. It's the second part of my conclusion, which is this. Telling your story. 
Do you have a story to tell? If Jesus Christ has stepped into your life and rescued you, I tell you this, you have a story to tell. It may be graphic and really amazing. It might be quite quiet and gentle, but it's just as much an amazing story. Every person who's rescued has that amazing story to tell. I wonder if we can be like John Harper and tell that story with every opportunity we have. I wonder if we can shine our light from that porthole too and make the difference in somebody else's life. My conclusion is in three words. It's these three simple words at the end of today's message. Trust, turn, and tell. Amen. Thank you very much. God bless you.